It's a new year and a new host this week on Planetary Radio. I'm Sarah Alahmed of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. After 20 amazing years as host of Planetary Radio, my friend and hero Matt Kaplan has earned his well-deserved retirement, from this show at least. As he passes the microphone to me, he begins a new journey as Senior Communications Advisor here at the Planetary Society. You'll hear my conversation with Matt about his two decades of adventures as host of Planetary Radio in a moment. I'll close out my first show as the new host of Planetary Radio with Dr. Bruce Betts, the only person other than Matt Kaplan to make an appearance on every episode of this show. He'll join me for What's Up and a special gaming-themed question for our weekly trivia contest. There's a lot going on here at the Planetary Society as our beloved weekly broadcast changes hands, but that doesn't mean that the space exploration party has stopped. Meanwhile on Mars, NASA's Perseverance rover has begun laying down its first sample deposits. As of the time of this recording, the rover has put two of these titanium tubes containing precious samples of Martian material on the ground. These and other samples gathered by the rover are under consideration for a trip back to Earth as part of the upcoming Mars sample return mission. It's a joint venture between the European Space Agency and NASA. The space agencies are hoping to return samples from Mars's surface to Earth by the early 2030s, and it's going to be amazing. We share the image that the Perseverance rover took of its first Martian sample deposit in the December 30th edition of our free weekly newsletter, The Downlink. You can subscribe to it for free at planetary.org downlink. And now for a moment I've been looking forward to for quite a while, my interview with Matt Kaplan. Matt created Planetary Radio and hosted this show for two decades. He produced over a thousand episodes during that time and became a true legend in the space community. His kindness, insightful questions, and pure enthusiasm for space was obvious to me long before I met him in person. But my respect for Matt grew even more after I was hired at the Planetary Society two years ago to be their digital community manager. Matt is now the Senior Communications Advisor at the Planetary Society. And here are some of his planetary radio stories. How the tables have turned. Thanks for joining <laughs> me for my first planetary radio show ever, Matt. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Listen to me. I'm still hosting. Thank you, Sarah. I am very proud to uh, be heard yet again on planetary radio on your very first show. That's that's quite a distinction. Well, it definitely makes me feel happy and comfortable because I've been wanting to talk to you about, you know, your time on planetary radio. And I'm sure that this is a kind of bittersweet moment for you. You've been hosting this show for two decades, and it's probably awesome to take a break from it. But also, how are you feeling? You're right. It's bittersweet. It's it's very much mixed emotions. Overall, I I still think that uh, it was a very good idea when I went to our chief operating officer, Jennifer Vaughn, two years ago and said, you know, I think 20 years is going to be about right. As you've heard me say, I am very much looking forward to not having this deadline hanging over my head every week. <laughs> I gladly <laughs> pass on that responsibility to you. I think I'm still going to have the opportunity to talk to the people who I always think of and call my heroes, the people who are taking us out there to the final frontier. 
I, I think that's going to happen, and it certainly sounds like it is, but it's probably not going to happen on quite as regular a basis, a weekly basis, as it has. And, and you know, that's been the best part of this job. It's uh, talking with these heroes and sharing those conversations, as you will be from now on. Ultimately, you loved space. You were working in radio, working at, at a university, and, and then eventually you ended up at the Planetary Society about 22 years ago. Do you remember what your first days were like? Oh, yeah, sure. It's easy. I was already a member, and I saw that the Society needed volunteers to work at Planet Fest in 1999. And that was when we were hoping to watch Mars Polar Lander come down onto the surface. <clears throat> and it did. Unfortunately, it came down way too fast and is somewhere down there in little pieces. I don't think anybody's ever found the site. But we had this gigantic celebration, as we often do around events like this, at the Pasadena Convention Center. Thousands and thousands of people. I had an audiovisual background. I'd worked in that business for many years, and I was running a television studio at California State University, Long Beach. So they put me in charge of audiovisual as a volunteer and had a blast doing it. Very soon after that, Lou Friedman and the then webmaster asked me if I would come to work for the society. And I said, well, I can't do it full time because I'm going to stay at the university, got a family to support, and you're far away in Pasadena. And uh, I said, but part time. So I was supposed to write content. And I remember showing up the first day, the webmaster had quit the day before. And so I went from being, you know, a content person, a writer, to being the webmaster. Did I know any HTML? No, not in the least. And uh, so I didn't know what I was doing. And it showed. And at that point, our website wasn't even up. It had been hacked and had been down for a couple of months. Frankly, I don't think I had that much to do with bringing us back online because there were other people who came in who knew what they were doing. There were almost always kids around. There were dogs around. And it was a very small group. Some people would say that it was, if it was a family, it was a somewhat dysfunctional family. But, you know, which ones aren't? You know, it, it was just a blast. It was a, everybody had multiple jobs because there were so few of us. A very different situation now. And it was a lot of fun, but it was also a struggle. There were some difficult times for the society. We saw our membership falling. You know, this was not too long after we lost co-founder Carl Sagan. And Carl had done such a wonderful job for us uh, going on, you know, The Tonight Show and talking about uh, how people ought to join up. So we faced some challenges and uh, it was uh, it was an interesting time, but we sure did have fun and had a got a lot of great projects done. And I know in the past, people have asked you if there are any guests that you wish you could have brought onto the show and communicated with. And almost always you say Carl Sagan. Sure. Which absolutely makes sense. You never got a chance to talk with him, even though we're both working at the organization that he co-founded. But if you could go back in time and talk to him about any topic, what do you think you would talk to him about? I think I would probably talk to him about that PB&J, you know, Bill Nye's mm -hmm. famous passion, beauty and joy. Because it's what I talked to his life partner, his professional partner, Andrew Ewan, about. It's what we talked to Anne about just recently on the anniversary of Carl's birth, Sagan Day, which he does not mind people calling it that. I would also talk to him about his optimism about what's waiting for us out there and what we will be discovering. When we lost Carl, and he was, he was gone, he had sadly passed away before I got to the society. 
we knew by that time exoplanets were starting to be discovered. We did not know, we had, did not have enough data yet to confirm that planets are the rule, that if there's a star, there's a pretty good shot. At, I mean, you, you know, far better than even that you're going to find worlds circling that star. I'm sure that he would be thrilled to see what we've accomplished. I'm sure he would be waiting with bated breath to see samples come back from Mars and dig into those and see if we find any fossils or maybe even better stuff that would tell us something was alive up there once, if not now. And he would be just as big a promoter of the human potential, not just across the universe, but here on the pale blue dot. It would be such fun. And, you know, I, I was so honored when Andrewian told me on that recent show that she was sure that Carl would, would have been as fond as me as she is. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and I can only hope that that would have been the case, but it sure would have been fun to talk to him. So other than talking to cool people, you get to go off on adventures and you've seen so many cool space locations and different spacecraft while you've been around. What are the coolest places you've been to during your time as host? These trips really do stand out. As much as the live shows, because there's nothing like getting up in front of an audience and talking to these same heroes and just because the audience is already into it, otherwise they wouldn't be there. And it's just so exciting. Yeah, I have had some pretty great adventures, you know, getting up close to a space shuttle that eventually did not launch while I was there. So, you know, not only did you and I miss Artemis 1, but I never got to see a shuttle launch either. So, you know, we got to make it out to one of these SLS launches, Sarah. We have to. What's the first launch you ever got to go to? The first launch that I ever saw was the launch of Lightsail 1. No kidding. That's no awesome. Kidding. Yeah, not long ago at all. And then it, the second one was the Falcon Heavy that took up Lightsail 2. So, um, yeah, I you would maybe think that I had lived at these places because you and I both know people who, like, never miss a launch. We have coworkers who kind of live at either at KSC or now they're waiting for Starship to launch in Texas. But uh, no, I've, I've just never much had the opportunity. And, you know, I hope to see some more, especially SLS. Yeah, those trips to KSC have always been wonderful. I certainly a standout. It's on my business card is the trip I made to the Alma Array in the Atacama, high above the Atacama Desert in northern Chile, 16,500 feet, 5,000 meters. I love to point out the little can of oxygen that they issued to each of us because you had to take hits off it every two or three minutes because you'd start getting really silly before you passed out on the ground. I was so frightened because we all had to have notes from our doctors and then they gave us another exam when we got there. And then there were still people, healthier looking people than me, who couldn't get off the bus when we reached the high site. They were too sick from lack of oxygen. And I was so relieved when I was able to get up and walk around and enjoy that site. Sometimes you don't even have to go that far. Every trip that I've made to Mount Wilson, which, you know, you could walk outside of the Planetary Society and look up at it. Every trip that I have ever made to Mount Palomar, these are shrines of science. These are places that hopefully will exist forever, even as the telescopes age. They are beautiful. And to think what was accomplished at these places, to see and touch the chair that Edwin Hubble sat in at the 100-inch telescope on Mount Wilson as he figured out that the universe was expanding and how fast. And, and yeah, he was not a nice man, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but still, you know, did some amazing science. 
Going to the uh, McDonald Observatory in Texas was a lot of fun. Going up into the hills there, you know, pretty much every trip I've ever made on behalf of the society. Things are changing. Your role is changing. Are there any things about what you're going to be doing? You're, you're going to be senior communications advisor at the Planetary Society <laughs> now that instead. Yeah. That's a great title. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know yet. I just heard it for the first time the other day myself. I like it a lot. I'm going to miss having planetary radio producer, a host producer, or producer host, whatever it says on my card now. But hey, that's your job now. You're the one who should get that on your card. I'm looking forward to that member community. I am looking forward to working more with our advisory council. We have our board of directors, but we also have an extremely talented advisory council, which I know Jennifer Vaughn very much wants to take more advantage of their talents and their skills. And that is something that we are talking about. There are a few other projects that I don't think I'm at liberty to talk about yet. I think we're still going to be doing some live events now and then. I hope that I will be at the Planetary Defense Conference, which is that biannual conference that the Planetary Society is always a sponsor of, where we get together with the worldwide community that wants to save our planet from the fate of the dinosaurs. That's going to be in Vienna this coming spring. And I've never been to Vienna. And I'm, I sure going to be so I, fun. Oh, I hope I get to make that trip. And it's just such a fun conference to go to, especially when they do the tabletop exercise and these Evil geniuses come up with scenarios where we gradually learn more and more about some big rock that is about to eventually take out a big piece of our planet. And you have all these professionals, scientists, engineers, public safety, emergency management people, government officials, law enforcement. They all get together and talk about, here's how we're going to respond to this. And it, and it becomes real. Even though everybody knows it's just an exercise, it becomes completely real and people get very worked up and makes for great radio. I mean, I'm glad people are taking it seriously. I mean, trying to save the world, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to save the world, as Bill says. Well, I'm glad you've got some wonderful adventures lined up. Maybe one of these days we'll go to one of these conferences together. You really should. Yeah, I'm sure you would love the Planetary Defense Conference. And I hope that there will be money in the budget for you to go to some of the other things that happen every year, like DPS, Division of uh, Planetary Sciences, because there is nothing like getting out there and actually rubbing shoulders with all the people who are doing this amazing work exploring our solar system and beyond. Future's bright. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, before I let you go, Matt, is there anything you want to say to our planetary radio listeners right now? I mean, I know I and many other people are going to miss you as host of the show. I have always been from the start blown away by the listeners to this show, by the things that they tell me, how they entertain us when they write in with their funny answers to the uh, weekly space trivia contest, the insights they have. The experiences that they share having to do with watching the skies or participating in or just being a fan of space exploration, going to a launch, and maybe most of all, how maybe, because I've been around long enough, some of them started listening to the show as kids and now they are PhDs doing research in planetary science or some related field. I mean, what could be more? gratifying than that, to know that maybe you had a little piece of helping them to get through all the, past all the hurdles 
and become one of those heroes that we talk to on the show. I mean, you know, I can, I, I could, I won't, because I don't want to embarrass them, but I could name people who I used to hear from when they were undergraduates who are now leaders in the field of planetary science. Man, to have been around long enough to do that, I love all of you folks out there. You are a wonder. Of course, those of you who have chosen to become members of the Planetary Society, I have to thank you because you've also been helping to pay my salary and Sarah's and everybody else's. And you know, you're part of the adventure. I sure hope to continue to interact with them. We know this from just the numbers that we're able to follow. We have one of the most loyal audiences of any podcast in any genre. And I mean, that just says a lot to me about the people out there. So thank you, everybody. And uh, you're just going to love listening to uh, Sarah and uh, what she does with the show as uh, she begins her 20-year tenure, or who knows, maybe more. I can only hope. <laughs> and I know, I know our audience isn't here to say this, so I'm going to try to say it without getting emotional, Matt. But thank you from the bottom of my heart for just two decades of working at the Planetary Society, creating the show that we love so much and inspiring so many people to love space. I, I can't imagine the innumerable people around the world that fell in love with the cosmos because of you. So thank you for that and for everything you've taught me. I cannot say it enough. You're amazing. Sarah, thank you. Um, fortunately, we are surrounded by amazing people in our organization and our members. Um, so it takes one to know one. And uh, thanks for, you know, letting me uh, rant on a little bit on your very first show as host of Planetary Radio. First of many, many, many. I hope that you enjoy this wonderful intersection, this wonderful Venn diagram of space and radio slash podcasting as much as I have. I, I, I think you're off to a great start. Thanks, Matt. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. Ad Astra. I'm going to cherish my interview with Matt Kaplan the previous host of Planetary Radio, forever. You can hear the extended version of our conversation in the podcast and online version of this show, along with a special segment containing snippets of all of the heartfelt messages that Planetary Radio fans left on our voicemail. You'll find that and more at planetary.org radio or wherever good podcasts are available. Come back after the break for What's Up with Bruce Betts. Hello, I'm George Takei. And as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. Hi, this is Kate from the Planetary Society. How does space spark your creativity? We want to hear from you. Whether you make cosmic art, take photos through a telescope, write haikus about the planets, or invent space games for your family, really any creative activity that's space-related, we invite you to share it with us. You can add your work to our collection by emailing it to us at connect at planetary.org. That's connect at planetary.org. Thanks! And we're back. You are listening to Planetary Radio, and now it's time for What's Up. I'm joined by our chief scientist of the Planetary Society, the great Dr. Bruce Betts. Welcome, Bruce. Ooh, I like that introduction. 
<laughs> well, I'm sure I'll have uh, many, many more, and maybe they will get meaner as time goes on. I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you, great and wonderful and powerful, Sarah. <laughs> so, Bruce, what's up? Well, as you're probably aware, there are a bunch of really cool planets up to look at in the evening sky. We've got almost all of them that you can see with just your eyes in the evening. So soon after sunset, you can look low in the west and Venus will look super bright if you've got a clear view to the horizon. If not, just wait a few weeks. It'll keep getting higher over time. Up above that considerably, but getting closer, is Saturn looking yellowish. Above that, kind of very high in the sky and white looking, is bright Jupiter. We've got Mars, Mars too. So everyone but Mercury, and even Mercury was playing with us, but I think it'll be tough to see right now. But Mars looking reddish and high in the sky in the evening, so you don't even have to wake up early. I remember last week you were saying that Mercury was kind of, you know, getting lower to the horizon right as Matt was leaving. And I didn't say it, but I still have this internal joke going on in my head about just wait for the moment that Matt goes into retrograde. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've seen it. It's not pretty. (laughs) This is fun. I can pick on Matt and he's not even here, although he's he's not here to defend himself. (laughs) I'm sure the interview is tremendous. I haven't heard it yet. (laughs) Let us go on to this week in space history. It seems like yesterday. 1610. In an amazing coincidence, Galileo discovered the Galilean satellites this week in 1610. Of course, he wanted to name them after the Medici family, so that's not really a very good joke. He discovered all of them except Ganymede, the largest, uh, which was probably hiding behind or in front of Jupiter. And then a few days later, my dog Gracie discovered it. <laughs> no, he, Galileo discovered it. She just loves Ganymede. She gets very excited. Let us move on to the first official Sarah show. Gracie liked that one too. You know, I know classically we put a little bit of like a, you know, reverb on that, but uh, how do you feel about (laughs) auto-tune? In the music industry, I'm offended by it, but for my voice, sure, I'm hypocritical. (laughs) Well, hey, I've got a fun random space fact, I think. The surface area of Saturn's moon Enceladus is about equal to that of Turkey, the country, or Mozambique. Whereas the surface area of the other very interesting astrobiologic moon with liquid water ocean, Europa, surface area of Europa, about equal to all of Africa. So we have Mozambique versus Africa. They are really different in size, which is easy to lose track of. (laughs) Just trying to imagine what it's going to be like in the future when people can do a full tour of Enceladus. I don't know. Would you go on vacation to Enceladus? I feel like that would be very cold, but also very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Very cold, very lacking in atmosphere. A little bit of snow. Um, Yeah, I think I might die without Wi-Fi and video games. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you're going to like the new trivia question. But first, we're going to review the previous trivia question. I asked you, what observed astronomical event did Tycho Brahe write about in the book De Nova Stella? And how do we do? This is something that uh, you have some professional familiarity with, is my impression. Yeah, supernovae took a lot of images of those. Of course, you gave a huge hint, and I guess the name itself gives a huge hint, and that De Nova Stella has to be some kind of supernova. And we got a lot of great answers, many wonderful poems about it, actually. Ah. But in the end, we've got our winner. We're going with Robert Laporta from Connecticut, USA, who said, In 1572, Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe noticed a new bright star in the constellation of Cassiopeia. It was an explosion of a star 
into a supernova about 7,500 light years away. Yeah, good old SN1572. <laughs> Name just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> well, it's not too bad compared to other naming things. SN supernova 1572, the year it happened. But yeah, it rolled off my tongue. <laughs> and of course, we got a lot of other wonderful messages along with it. Not just answers to our trivia question, but you know, I'm not sure if people are sick of these wonderful heartfelt messages to me and Matt yet, but I am not sick of it yet. Uh, so I'm going to read a few of these just because okay, they make good. me really happy in Excellent. my heart. Well, it's true, though. I mean, no, I'm this kidding. is one of those things that's just, <laughs> I know you're kidding, but but quite honestly, like I've been grappling with how, how weird this moment in my life is and how, I, I don't know, if someone had told me 10 years ago, 20 years ago that I'd be getting wonderful messages from people all around the world. I don't know if I would have believed it. So <laughs> so it's a good thing. It is. Yay! You know. No, oh, I'm just congratulations. hoping. Congratulations, you, know. you deserve them. So we've got this one from Pavel Kumesha, who's from Minsk, Belarus, who says, so long, Matt, and thanks for the fascinating episodes. And of course, Sarah, it's great to finally hear you as the new host of Planetary Radio. Welcome aboard. Oh, that's nice. I know, right? You get anything else? I did get another one uh, from Bert Caldwell in New York, New York, who said, welcome, Sarah, on her first episode. Looking forward to many years of great episodes. Me too. Hopefully uh, in 20 years, I will have, you know, even vaguely as, as much poise as Matt did. <laughs> and one more message I'll read from Paul Ryan from Limerick, Ireland, who said, thank you for the most excellent radio show over the past number of years. I've been a loyal weekly listener. I'm hoping Paul will continue to listen. I will do my best. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be good. It is so far. How about we go on to the new trivia question then? Let's do this. All right. As you've already dropped, you you are a bit of a gamer. This is true. And so I'm going back in time, but maybe you'll bond with this. What planetary system was the setting for the majority of the original Doom video game? Oh, snap. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest get your entry so what planetary system was the setting for the original doom uh, it didn't it didn't factor much into it but still technically it was set in our solar system oh except when they went when it went when they went to hell uh, we're not counting that as a planetary system <laughs> i'm trying to think wasn't there some movie back in the day like uh event horizon where some spaceship accidentally ended up in hell while trying to jump to jupiter oh undoubtedly I don't know, but our listeners do. But our listeners do. And I'm sure some of them will know the answer to this question. I will keep it to myself. But anybody who's listening who wants to join in on this trivia contest, you have until Wednesday, January 11th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us the answer. And you're probably going to want to get in on this one because we actually have a special prize this time. Not that squishy asteroids aren't awesome, but I love this one. We have two signed images from Matt Kaplan. So if anybody wants to answer this question, we will send you a beautiful image of Matt Kaplan that you can keep forever and remember him. <laughs> 20 years. 20 years I do a show with this guy. I never get an autographed picture. Now we're giving him away. It's true. Uh, Would you like one, Bruce? Yes. But no, give these to people. I'll attack Matt someday and get one. <laughs> I've got extras in the office so he can sign one just special for you. Yeah, that's probably bad. Okay. We good? I think we're good. It is time for your signature outro, Bruce. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about new opportunities. Thank you, and good night. Thanks, Bruce. That was Bruce Betts, the chief scientist here at the Planetary Society. He'll be popping in each week for our What's Up segment. 
Thank you all for joining me for my first show as host of Planetary Radio. Come back next week as we celebrate the amazing success of NASA's Artemis One mission. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by our amazing stargazing members. Mark Hilverda and Ray Pauletta are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Special thanks to our new audio editor, Andrew Lucas. And until next time, Ad Astra. Thank you.